Accomplishment Coaching is proud to present the following fine programming. Accomplishment Coaching, where coaches lead and leaders coach. AccomplishmentCoaching.com. Welcome to The Coaching Show with your host, Master Certified Coach, Christopher McCollum. And thank you very much. That's the voice of Dick Warren. And my name is Christopher McAuliffe, Master Certified Coach, here with Alex Terranova, a professional certified coach. Alex, how are you today? Doing so well. Like, just everything is great. It's a, I feel like it's weird to say, but everything's really good. All right. There's not, not much me- to talk about when everything's great, I guess. I mean, I mean, I can, we can, I have some drama that, you know, you created, but we, I know you don't want to talk about that, but. I just told everything's good. What do you, what do you want from me? <laughs> is this the beard drama? Is this your the shaving drama? drama? You know, you're like my mom. <laughs> you're like shave. You look nice with, when I can see your whole face. Mother and I <laughs> want to see your beautiful face. That's right. And, uh, and so what do you, what's your opinion about your face? Not that I care. You know, I, I don't, I, I don't know about you. I think the night, one of the benefits of, um, of being a man is like you can modify your facial hair all the time and change your look all the time. Uh, but I prefer to have some hair on my face. It's just, it just makes me feel more like myself. Maybe, maybe ontologically you would assert that it's a way to keep hidden. I stay hidden behind it, but you know, I just enjoy it. And then I, you, I'm, I'm sorry, I fell asleep. What did you, you say? You ridicule me. I do. Know? We're in a, we might be in an abusive relationship, actually, when I think well, about it. Well, here, let me give you a fair shot. Here's what I've been doing. I've been waking up every morning this week with a joke. You know how people do stand-up? I'm thinking about doing wake-up comedy. Like, I wake up with a joke fully formed in my head. I feel a little bit like Paul McCartney said, you know, he woke up with the song yesterday, right? Do you remember? So, so Paul McCartney was a musician a long time ago. Yeah, I'm, from, I'm just curious if your wife is sleeping in a different room now because of this. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean now? Uh, so, so <laughs> today, none of these are worth are worth our talk. But sometimes you should <laughs> ask me about the jokes because they're they're not bad jokes. They're not hilarious jokes. They're like dad jokes. Yeah, I get. Okay, that. I'll give you one. I'll give you one. Today was I don't I I'm really enjoying starting to take the dog for walks in the morning, but I'm having a hard time getting him to poop in those little bags. See, like it's a, it's sort of a dad joke. It's sort of a family joke. And it was just like fully formed when I woke up. And your kids are like on the precipice of teenage years. They're going to, this is going to be rough. <laughs> also, this is going to be so rough for them. Yesterday God, I woke up. Daughter, and when your daughter eventually brings home a date, oh, you're going to embarrass her so much. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, I, I consider that my job, but yesterday's was, uh, I'm going to post on social media how there's no influencers or uh opinion opinion shapers see it's meta okay we can talk about these another time uh coaching practice going all right anything you want to say about coaching 13 days into march 2021 i had the bet i've already created the best business month of my entire coaching career which is pretty incredible um and if we want to for those young coaches out there that need some inspiration um because I wanted to hear things like this to give me something to work for when I was starting out to believe that it was possible. While 2020 was my best year ever, in the first two and a half months of 2021, I've already eclipsed what I did in the first five months of 2020. And this is the best part. I'm doing way less. I'm not working that hard. I'm like connecting with people, you know, creating relationships, getting referred, 
just coaching and doing good work. And it's, you know, my coach said to me yesterday, you keep not doing what we talk about. He's committed to me working harder. And I'm like, I'm not committed to that. <laughs> so you fight with your coach. That's interesting. We do. You know, it's, it's, yeah, it's like our relationship, but like fifth grade level, not third grade level. Um, so it's a little more mature. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to let that judgment. Well, just he, go by the wayside. He, um, he reflects that I'm adverse to hard work and I'm not adverse to hard work. Clearly I work hard, but I'm adverse to working harder to get more results. I'm like, there have to be other ways to get more results simply than working hard. Yeah. You're a shortcut guy. No, you're I'm a, a, the dig ditchers work hard and they don't get necessarily the things that they want. People that work lots of jobs in this country work really hard and don't get the results that they actually want. So hard work is a myth. I believe created by the industrial complex. So the people that have jobs work harder for the man <laughs> just got way too deep for you. I feel like you're, you're lazy and justifying it, but we can, we can talk more <laughs> about it. Let me ask you this. Do you beat yourself up sometimes? Do you, do you experience guilt? Cause you seem to be an anti-guilt guy. Um, Shame, guilt. There's definitely like, I think most of that stuff for me shows up actually in relationships. Hmm. not in work so much relationships is where I would say personal relationship for shame, uh, guilt in like maybe romantic or dating. I ran into somebody that I dated yesterday at the grocery store and I was so wa wonky and weird with her. And I was like, man, I feel so guilty about this. Why am I like this? So that's a, that's a nightmare. Most of us have, right. That you'll run into your ex at the grocery store and you actually live at night. Well, yeah. I, I'm very excited. I'm as, as interesting as this is, I'm uh, very excited to get to our guest. Uh, just a just an extraordinary light in the world. A best-selling author, 13 books, international speaker, life strategist. She's the founder and CEO of the Coaching and Positive Psychology Institute, CAPP, Coaching and Positive Psychology Institute. Got a life-changing message. She's been on the Today Show, but I, I'm also very excited about her her early career where she ran public relations in Dallas and co-hosted the television show, The Potter's Touch with T.D. Jakes, was also the youngest person ever appointed to the Texas Governor's Commissioner for Women. She currently uh, joins us from outside Atlanta, where she lives, uh, an extraordinary human being, Valerie Burton. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be here. Thanks. Sorry about all the shenanigans at the at the top of the show. Yeah, I'm um, kind of scared to have this conversation with you two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah we get it out of we get it out of our system on each other so that we're we've taken it to a higher level for you. We just had to okay. get that stuff. <laughs> yeah, if it if it helps, you having been on the Today Show, Dr. Oz named one of the top sixty motivational speakers in America and one of the top one hundred thought leaders in the field of personal development. We're scared to talk to you too. <laughs> Like, how are we going to keep up? Um, you're an extraordinarily capable and accomplished human being. Let me start where Alex was. So you can hear Alex has a, an ethos that we're, that we're being subjected to about not working harder, that that's a myth. Any thoughts about that? Yeah, I, I, I agree with it in many ways. Um, I think that... I, I'm thinking about a conversation I had years ago with someone who had spent his life with that belief, if I just keep working harder. And he connected the working harder with earning more. And one day it's like it finally hit him. 
I'm never going to get to the point I've been imagining doing what I'm doing. <laughs> um, and, and it's not that he didn't have a great career and, and a great, uh, incredible education level, um, but he realized that the wealth he was looking for wasn't going to come simply by working more. And so, you know, understanding the strategies to get to where we want to go, I think, is really, really important. And obviously, I think hard work uh, and having a good work ethic is important. I don't think any, you know, even with what Alex is saying, it, it still takes strategy and the focus and the consistency, right? But that doesn't necessarily mean it needs to fit into this box that I'm working 60 hours a week. Um, and so getting clarity about purpose and long-term, what is the vision and what's the best way to get there? Because if we, if we choose a pathway to get there that doesn't take us there, we find ourselves frustrated because we've been working hard for a really long time, but that path took us somewhere that we were not hoping to go. Yeah, I, I, that resonates for me. Um, is there, I'll, I'll just speak to my own experience. There's a, and sorry, Alex, I I'm, feel like I'm jumping in here, but my follow-up is this. So for a lot of people, I think, guilt is connected to hard work. That is, I watch, for example, my wife in my home, right? And I walk by, I don't know, an open box and it's just an open box, but she walks by an open box and it is a thing to be addressed and handled immediately and, you know, something that cannot exist, right? But I, I almost hear it like it's some sort of guilt or, you know, beating herself up or something like this shouldn't be. I, I asked her once, I said, is it like things like that yell at you as you walk by? And she said, it's very much like that. Is there, is there a gender difference in terms of what I'm experiencing as, as the need to do work or the shoulds of life? I think there can be a lot of different dynamics. For example, you know, the, so, so here's what can be connected when you, when you connect guilt and all of those different things. We have those, you know, these five big personality traits, one of them being conscientiousness. And people who are conscientious have very strong feelings about what is right and what is wrong, how things ought to be. So if you feel things ought to always be in place and orderly, then walking by things that are out of place is going to bother you. I'm one of those people. <laughs> Right. But I, I live in a house full of people and everybody's not like that. <laughs> so the the need to balance that's very important. But the other piece here around conscientiousness is that those who who are very high on conscientiousness because they have strong feelings about the way things ought to be, they're more likely to feel guilty when things are not that way. And so it's important to just notice your own personality and style. But, you know, when you mentioned that particular example, uh, there's a term I heard a while ago, clutter blind. <laughs> like some people are just clutter blind. It doesn't bother you. You don't see the clutter. It's like, yeah, what? Do you see that? You see the socks on the floor? Whereas other people, we see everything. And so some of it is just differences in how we are wired. Um, and I'm not sure that men are more likely to be clutter blind or not. Um, maybe, <laughs> but it just may be a personality thing around. Certainly around in my house. What, 
feel comfortable in. Yeah, I can tell from your beautiful background that you are you are <laughs> a, a fellow uh, traveler to my wife's tidiness. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Alex, what do we got? I want to know a. I want to know about guilt. Like, you know, I said, when we started Christopher asked me about guilt and I was like, you know, I don't, I don't typically feel guilty. And then I'll like run, I ran into someone I dated at the grocery store literally yesterday and I got all weird. And then I walked down, I was like, why was I so weird? And then I was, and I, and I said to my friend who asked me about it, I said, I think I like feel guilty about something. Like when I think about it, I don't, I don't actually think that I did anything bad or wrong, but it shows up like that. And can you tell us like your book, the, that your, your new, one of your newest books, let go of the guilt, right? I'm going to relate to you as you're a guilt expert. Now you wrote a book on guilt. So where does guilt come from? Why does it show up in our lives like that or in, in other ways? So guilt is a message and it's also a debt. <laughs> so there are two types of guilt. There's what I call authentic guilt when we've actually done something wrong in which case we should feel guilty, right? Because um, guilt hopefully helps us change our behavior in the future. It also tells us how we ought to respond when we've done something wrong. We, you know, apologizing, trying to atone for it, trying to change behavior. But the other kind of guilt, which is mostly what I'm talking about in the book, is false guilt. And while authentic guilt is I've done something wrong, false guilt is I feel like I've done something wrong, which is not the same thing. Um, I was curious as to whether or not there is a gender gap with guilt, because anecdotally, when I would talk about guilt, the vast majority of women would just like, like it would just be this audible response to the word guilt. And that surprised me when it first started happening, because I thought I was alone in my feelings. But then when I would bring the topic up to men, they sometimes seem confused. Like if I would mention something like my husband in particular, like I'm not understanding what you're feeling guilty about. And so there is a bit of a um, guilt gender gap, but when it comes to men feeling guilty, men tend to feel guiltier about the bigger things. So for example, and I'm not saying this happened in that relationship, but it, it doesn't even have to mean you did something awful. It could be you figured out this isn't the right relationship and the person was really heartbroken. Right. And so the guilt of feeling like, oh, I caused harm because that's what guilt is. I, I caused harm. I caused pain. I did something wrong. So it, it's um, it's a message and it's a debt. If you're guilty in a courtroom, you pay the price. Right. There's the consequence. So even if it's just the false guilt that I feel like I've done something wrong, we still feel like we have to pay a debt. And that debt can be as small as beating yourself up or not letting yourself speak up, um, or it could be something much bigger. That's great. You, you like hit it out of the park, specifically to the example that I said. <laughs> um, so if we take that one step further, what do we do with it, right? So whether it be my situation or what you were kind of sharing, you know, ways that women often feel guilty that men don't understand, what do we do with it when we when we recognize it, I get that like, Hey, when we actually say like, I was mean, you know, I'm mean to Christopher, I should go apologize and then be nicer to him moving forward. Um, but when it's not that where it's like, it requires an apology or a change in behavior. What do we do with that, that debt, the way you describe as debt or that false guilt? Yeah. So, so the most important thing is 
with false guilt, it, it's not just that it feels bad. Yes, I talk about how to let the feeling go, and I'll, I'll talk more about that in a second. But that's not the worst part. It's when the false guilt gets in the driver's seat and starts making decisions for you, <laughs> right? And so you begin doing things in order to make up for or pay the debt. And so one of the simplest things you can do is called affect labeling. And we can do this with any negative emotion. This comes from some uh, work from uh, Matthew Lieberman at UCLA. And it's the idea of just noticing the emotion when you feel it and label it. So you, you feel guilty and you just say to yourself, that's guilt. And it's creating an interruption where you're stopping for a moment to notice that that feeling is rising up because the threat is that the feeling is going to take over and start making your decisions for you, <laughs> start doing things or saying things that you don't want to say. This is when you start saying yes to stuff you don't really want to say yes to because it's out of guilt or you start agreeing or not, not saying what needs to be said. You let people guilt trip you, all those types of things. So just saying that's guilt or I'm feeling guilty or that's false guilt stops you before you say something you are going to regret before you do something you're going to regret. So the first step is to just notice that the guilt is there. You have a follow-up, Alex? I can't tell from your face. I'll go for it. <clears throat> I love this. And it's <laughs> driving me crazy all at the same time. So great. Oh, I have a thousand questions. I'm sorry. It seems like, okay, I'm going to ask the most objectionable one first. And then if we're still friends, I'll ask <laughs> the other one. You are a woman of faith. You have won awards from the Evangelical uh, Christian Publishers Association. You worked with T.D. Jakes. By the way, I have to know all about that because I love T.D. Jakes. But um, here's, my, here's my question. As a person of faith, aren't a lot of the religious people dealing with guilt most of the aren't Aren't a lot of the religions... And, you know, going back to your point about conscientiousness, trying to get us to do the right thing, mostly through some guilt. Oh, so interesting. So I talk about religious guilt a little bit, not a huge section in the book, but I mention it because I grew up Catholic. And I remember when I was about eight years old, going through the confirmation process and then having my first confession. And then it was time for like, you know, to just keep going to confession. I was trying to keep up with what I was doing wrong. And I remember going to my mom and I was like, so what if I forget some things? Like what happens then? <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, from a religious perspective, guilt can, I mean, it can follow you and really steal your joy. So I, I don't think that... When you say that using guilt to get people to do things, guilt is good when guilt is accurate. Guilt helps us do the right thing, right? So when you have, when you think about doing something wrong and then suddenly you have that pang of guilt and so you're like, no, I really shouldn't do that. That's good. <laughs> so we have, it's a barometer on the inside of us. We have it for a reason. So I don't, for me, it's not, oh, we shouldn't feel any guilt. Yeah, there are things we should feel guilty about. If, if we're wronging people, if we're not speaking up when we need to, there's reason to feel guilt. And that's, that's good guilt, right? And that is the, you know, having a conscience, right? Which is extremely important for us to notice when things are wrong. So guilt should be a guide for us when it's accurate, right? So, oh, I was thinking about cheating on, on something. 
guilt helps us not do that or it helps us after we've done it to say, you know, I need to change. So I think that's really important to note. At the same time, using guilt, for example, to control and manipulate others is wrong or allowing others to do that to us. And so I think depending on what your faith is, reconciling some of those things is so very important. So from my faith perspective, God is in a God of condemnation. When I do something wrong, I can be forgiven. But for many people, even if they believe God has forgiven them, they don't forgive themselves. And so being able to even just follow that example, it, it's, it's not always the easiest thing because when we feel like it's a debt and we still haven't paid it, <laughs> we can feel like I got to still pay, keep paying this price, keep paying this price. So it, this is a, it's a tough topic depending on what it is that you're dealing with. And you may have noticed in the book, I tell so many stories. I interviewed so many people around the different reasons that they feel this sense of guilt. And sometimes you've got authentic guilt mixed in with false guilt, right? So you, yeah, you did something wrong and now you've taken all these steps, but you still haven't released yourself, even though you've paid the consequences. So at some point you have to make that decision to forgive yourself. And the fact that we are we are imperfect. And from a spiritual perspective, that's really important to take note of. Letting go of guilt requires humility. The humility to say, yeah, I am pretty imperfect. Sometimes I'm going to really screw things up. And that's okay. And that can be a part of my learning journey. I, I, think, I think that's a huge, for me, it was a huge aha. So whether you're a follower of the scripture or of the 1990s uh, musician, Don Henley, it's a, we can't talk about guilt without talking about forgiveness, right? And at the, and at the same time, I hear the, the admonishment that guilt is perhaps most evil or most uh, toxic when we're using it to control or dominate or wrong others. Yeah. So, uh, but mostly it's about, I think many of us experience guilt as a sort of wronging of ourself, right? Beating ourselves up. If only I had said this instead of that, or done this instead of that, or not done that thing. The beating yourself up, I think, is this is the piece that, you know, the subtitle of the book is Stop Beating Yourself Up and Take Back Your Joy. You know, I, I've never before written a book about a negative emotion. <laughs> My mission is inspiring people to live more fulfilling lives. So I talk a lot about happiness and resilience and gratitude and all of these things. And it didn't really occur to me. I started writing that, oh my gosh, this is a really heavy it can get to be a very negative topic because as I was interviewing and I was kind of coaching as I was interviewing and there was a lot of um, sadness, um, a lot of, you know, beating, beating yourself up. And so uh, for me, I realized what is my take on this? Cause a lot of the books on guilt are very kind of therapy oriented and I'm not a therapist. What is the point for me? The point is that guilt steals your joy and I want you to get your joy back. <laughs> And that's why I wrote the book, um, because it gets in the way so often. I mean, in the little, sometimes just the little things of life, like, you know, how you're parenting your kids or, you know, if you perhaps weren't as kind and how you said whatever you said and you think you've got to be perfect. And, 
you know, just that constant, I'm not, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. As opposed to, hmm, I'm on a journey. I'm on a, I'm on a learning journey and it's okay. I'm curious, like from a, you, you address the, like, or you just mentioned the therapy aspect as a coach, coaches that are listening, where do you kind of separate that when people, when, you know, clients or people that you work with or talk to you bring these conversations, how do you identify like, Hey, now we're stepping into, you know, maybe this is more suited for therapy or, you know, you are equipped to handle this as a coach. So, you know, years ago I had a, a coach describe it in a way that I keep describing it, which is if your, whatever the, the subject is, if it is a scar, right? That means I can touch it. You're not going to flinch because it's already healed up. Now you can see that something happened, but it's, it's healed up. And it could be something awful, but you've dealt with it and you're ready to move forward. Um, that's coaching. But if it's an open wound and I touch it and you flinch and it's not healed, that's therapy. So I don't necessarily, I'm not necessarily afraid for somebody to bring up something that may at one point have needed therapy if they have worked through it or even because everything impacts different people in different ways. Sometimes you start talking about it and a person actually kind of moves forward fairly, fairly quickly, but others get stuck and they continue to talk about the past. And we know coaching is about where are you now? And where are you wanting to go from here? So if we can talk about the present and what you want to see different as you move into the future, we can coach around it. But if we're stuck talking about what happened in the past and you're unable to move past that, that is a subject that would be great in therapy. I love the way you put that. I've never heard that, the scar and the open wound. Um, it's a really nice way for it to be said. I think too, to I'm I'm guessing that sometimes it looks like a scar and it can get opened up again for some people, right? Everyone's in that sense. Everyone's different. Christopher, I want to ask about something completely different. I don't know if you want to say, if you want to stay, if there's anything else you want before I transition a little bit, is that okay? I want you to feel comfortable. Feel like this is your show. <laughs> He's prepping, right? He's prepping for the day that I, that I push him out in a wheelchair into the retirement center. Um, if you do something wrong, I'll make you feel guilty about it later. Um, I want to talk about, you know, I, I've had more publicity in the like this year and the end of last year than I've ever had. And one of the things I noticed when I was doing a little research on you is like you've had you've been on the Today Show. You have a lot of these books that have that are that have been talked about in different places. And a lot of what I'm the, the more publicity I'm getting coaches that are starting out or even some that have been, you know, five years or so are like, how are you doing this? How is it helping? There's a lot of questions about that. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a, this is a two-parter. One is how do you manage to write 13 books? Because I've written one and uh, it took a long time. And uh, the second is how do you like get your voice out to the world? What's your megaphone so that you get on the Today Show and these places where people are finding out about you? So on the first question, how do I write? Actually, both questions have a similar theme, which is uh, consistency. So with the books, I, people don't believe me, but I am a recovering procrastinator. Um, 
I will push things until it's like, okay, if you don't start now, <laughs> there's going to be a big problem. And I have had books where I managed that very well and came in on deadline and made it the most joyful process because that's what I wanted. And sometimes I struggle, but regardless of struggling, I've made a decision that I'm writing a book. And so I show up, I give myself permission to write badly because that allows me to start and it allows me to let go of my perfectionism. And once I start, it gets good, right? And writing is not editing. So I very distinctly divide the two. I get to write and just get my thoughts out. And then editing, editing is a completely different process and, and set of sessions that I sit down and do. But what probably helps me the most, Alex, is that I, I am very mathematical about writing books. I know how long my book is going to be. I identify the problem I'm solving with my book and how I'm writing it. How many chapters is it divided into and how many words is each of those chapters and how many words can I write each day? So I have a goal every day. Generally, I write about 1500 words and I figure out when can I do that? I'm best early in the morning. I think you have to experiment with what works. That's one of the things that I, I use in coaching and that we teach our coaches to do, which is, you know, have the client experiment with something before they absolutely set the goal, because sometimes you set a goal and, and the path there isn't quite working. So I've experimented and between five and eight in the morning is when I'm most productive with my writing. There's nothing else going on. And I know when I sit down, I'm trying to get to 1500 words. And if I do, if I'm writing a, you know, 60,000 word book, well, to get it drafted, I need 40 of those sessions. <laughs> and so that helps, for me, helped me break it down and make it manageable and understand how to schedule out my, my writing. And then, of course, there's the editing process. Um, so, but I think you have to know what problem you're solving and how you're going to carry your reader through that process with let go of the guilt, I wanted, to, wanted it to feel like coaching. Uh, and I teach a coaching process in there for how to peel back the layers and, and you know, or, or is it authentic guilt or false guilt? How do you let it go? Um, so you just have to figure out what your rhythm is, but experiment with some things and then notice what works. And on your good days, what enabled the good days? Now, with regards to publicity, um, I would say, oh, and let me explain also. When I said my mission is inspiring people to more fulfilling lives, the vision of that is I do that through writing and speaking. So writing is at the core of what I do. And I have a master's degree in journalism, which certainly has um, helped, but that's also because that's at the core of, of I think my purpose. Um, and then the, the publicity, you know, when I first started in my career I was in marketing and public relations, and then I started a PR firm. Um, as coaches, we have a solution for people to a large number of challenges that they face, as well as taking advantage of the potential opportunities that they have. So notice with your clients, what themes do you see coming up? What are the most common challenges that you help solve? Because the media is looking for content that is relevant for their viewers. And in your sphere of influence with the people that you coach, you have gathered a lot of information and knowledge about what people are dealing with and how to help them with it. So when I first started, I would 
obviously having been in PR, that helped <laughs> a great deal because I, you know, I know how to put together an idea. But if you don't know how to put together an idea, you know, pick up your favorite magazine or go on your favorite website and look at the types of articles they have and then think to yourself, what could I create that's like that? And then you're basically sharing those ideas with the producers or, you know, editors, et cetera. You're going to get a whole lot of no's or actually more than no's, you're going to get nothing in response. It's always been that way, but I think it's even more that way now than when I started. Um, but if you keep putting it out there, somebody's going to pick it up. Be willing to start with the smaller venues because that's what builds you up. And then the larger venues go, oh, look at what they're up to. So like when I lived in Dallas, um, I used to do a weekly segment on the NBC station every Tuesday. And it started with me making a suggestion and they had me come on once. And then they said, could you come on the whole month? And then when the month was up, they're like, can you just come every week? Um, and so the Today Show for me as a, you know, an opportunity to inter be interviewed on was like on my, that was on my vision board as an author that felt like, oh. and I'm going to be honest, you know, I worked with my publicist that the publisher had hired. He pitched me from 2004, the first time he worked with me, until 2013 before I was invited. Nine years. And there were a couple of times that they responded and like, yeah, we think we might have something in the next couple of months and it didn't happen. But then once I had the opportunity, they continued inviting me back. So when you get those opportunities, just be as prepared as possible. Because at this point, I think I've probably been interviewed at least 30 times on that show in particular. Um, and they've been so gracious. And, and I mean, it's, it's always really fun to do. But it was nine years of reaching out <laughs> before before the invitation came. That is some consistency. Wow. Tired of presentations with no impact, no inspiration, and no traction? Do dull speakers have you and your team disengaged and distracted by smartphones? Christopher McAuliffe brings energy, insights, and two decades of experience delivered with punch, humor, and heart. Your team will leave energized, uplifted, and with a sense of purpose. Visit ChristopherMcAuliffe.com to bring some heat to your next speaking engagement. M-C-A-U-L-I-F-F-E. ChristopherMcAuliffe.com. Are you seeking to change your career to something that is both fulfilling and challenging? Do you want to help people reach their full potential and strive to achieve their dreams? Would you like to inspire those around you and help create a better world? If you're serious about a career change or just want to explore the craft of personal coaching, contact Accomplishment Coaching with locations across the country in Washington, D.C., Seattle, Chicago, New York City, and San Diego. Accomplishment Coaching is the leading institution in personal coaching. Our staff carefully monitors the entire program live during the training process and have met the strict standards of ICF International to achieve accreditation. Through a focus on quality instruction rather than endless modules of training, Accomplishment Coaching will guide you from your very first step all the way to becoming one of the finest coaches in the world. Visit AccomplishmentCoaching.com to learn more. Accomplishment Coaching, where coaches lead and leaders coach. 
Christopher McAuliffe is your source for the latest in the world of personal coaching. Whether it be speaking with such luminaries as Deepak Chopra or getting the newest techniques and innovation, The Coaching Show is always on the cutting edge of what's happening now. The Coaching Show is brought to you by Accomplishment Coaching, home of the world's finest coach training program. Here is Christopher McAuliffe, Master Certified Coach. Uh, I want to do two things. The first is people who are listening may want to know how to get a hold of you. It's a, you're clearly brilliant and uh, filled with lots of useful information. So one of the places people can get inspired by looking at your videos and podcasts and writings is Valerie Burton. And I should spell it for people, V-A-L-O-R-I-E, Burton, B-U-R-T-O-N.com. Another place, of course, is the place you founded the Coaching and Positive Psychology Institute, the CAPP Institute. And people can find you there by going to CAPPinstitute.com. That's CAPPinstitute.com. Of course, you're on all the places, right? You've got your Facebook page, your business Facebook, your Instagram, your Twitter, all Valerie, V-A-L-O-R-I-E, Burton. And then, of course, ValerieBurton.com. It seems to me that parenting is rife with guilt. I've got two kids and how I get them to do almost anything is by outright manipulation, either bribery or shame or something that I'm embarrassed about and feel guilty about. Um, any, any tips for parents or uh, forgiveness for parents or better ideas? Uh generally everything we're doing as parents is because we love our kids and we want we want the best for them. For me, I'm always wanting them to learn because I want, when they get to adulthood, I want to have done my job, that they are able to be productive, successful, purposeful adults, <laughs> right? Um, so as parents, one, I think we we must forgive ourselves when we didn't know all the right answers or ways to do things. But I think it's also important um, you know, when we, when we mess up to acknowledge it for our kids so we can open up those honest conversations. It also, I think, builds trust. Um, just like in a coaching session, you know, when we're not pretending <laughs> and, and we're trying to get that right question out and it's not quite coming, you know, sometimes I go, let me back up for a second because this isn't quite coming out the way I want it. You know, the, and then there's this sense that, oh, oh, they're here in my corner trying to help me. Um, I think that's really tremendous as parents. Um, I also think it's really important that as parents, we are trying to find our kids' strengths and that we affirm those strengths and we, we acknowledge and notice them, that we speak really positively into their lives. When we see them doing things right, acknowledging it, even if we're used to it, even for the kid that does most things right, right? There's there's always the kid that's just, they're pretty good at everything. They're pretty motivated, but they need to be affirmed too for what their strengths are. Not, Not for that they're smart, right? Or they're talented, but for the efforts that they put forth when they put them forth. We know from Carol Dweck's work on mindset, how important it is to have a growth mindset. And to understand how important effort is and that, you know, when they fail, what did you learn from that? I think we can have great coaching conversations with our children um, and we can be very intentional about not over-focusing on what was the grade, but what was the lesson 
and what is their vision? What do they want to see for themselves? And how can we um, support them uh, in that? Obviously, there have to be boundaries, and yes, there are rules to follow. But sometimes I think we can forget as parents that the kids don't always understand why we do what we do, and they can jump to their own assumptions. One of the things I really try hard to do with our children is, and I don't do this all the time, I don't feel like you have to explain things all the time, but I do think helping them understand the why behind the things that we do can be important. I find that sometimes what I learn is the kids are thinking that I'm doing something for a reason that's not actually true. Oh, I'm just being punished. No, you're not being punished. Actually, I'm trying to help you take responsibility and stop blaming your sibling for X, Y, and Z. Just just acknowledge your part in it and we're good, right? And so they begin understanding, oh, there's a reason behind (laughs) what's going on. And And I believe it or not, I think that makes our kids feel more cared for. They realize that we've got a job to do. I tell my seven-year-old that it is my job, <laughs> right? To help you grow. And you know, if you're if you're crying about nothing, <laughs> right? Because you're just trying to get your way and I just give it to you, then you're not growing. Right. And maybe he understands that a little bit, but he understands it enough to know that crying is not the way to get what I want. I need to express myself. And sometimes I need to wait and be patient. And sometimes I just don't get what I want because that's life. You, you just uh, gave me a realization. So as children, right, we always want to know children say why I don't have any kids, but I know I remember being a child and, and I know from parents, right. There's always like, why, 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 why? And you're sharing, like, actually, it can be really helpful to explain that a lot of parents don't want to do that. They don't have the time. They're frustrated, whatever. Um, And then as adults, you got someone like Simon Sinek, who's like, all we need to do is find our why. And we've literally (laughs) beaten the why out of our children so that we grow up actually like not having whys or not understanding whys. It's like almost like part of the cycle, right? We've like trained the why right out of ourselves. And then we grow up and we realize, wait, our why or the why behind things is actually really important. Right. From it's and not just on the grand scale of why do we do like our careers, but like, why are you ending this relationship? Why are you in this relationship? Why are you, you know, working out instead of walking in nature or whatever it is? Um, that's just sorry. You just like it was totally had that moment of like, we just work this right out of us. And then it's the thing that we need as an as adults so often. Can we I want to ask you about all of this in relationship to the pandemic? Mm. This the you know, the guilt that people are feeling, um, how you're talking to your kids about it, you know, during the pandemic, like, how do you explain this to your kids? Um, how do you keep, you know, moving forward, you know, with your business and your life and your family? This past year for all of us is just, I mean, did you ever even have the thought of something like this? I didn't. I mean, in the... (laughs) I mean, movie horror movies, right? Like you, you know. I mean, the level of anxiety I felt in March of last year, like it just felt like this black cloud coming over the whole world. Um, and in many ways and situations, it has been. Um, however, there have been good things to come out of it. So I want to be really clear. That doesn't mean the pandemic is good. It's not. 
But we have to find on an individual basis the messages, the lessons for us. We have to decide that it is what it is. Now, how do I want to show up in this time? What opportunity does this challenge offer me? Um, for example, in April of last year, my husband, who's, who's a pilot, who trains pilots, was furloughed. And he was to go back in August. But in July, he was told it's a layoff, which, although we hoped it wouldn't be, we could kind of see that. Nobody's, nobody's flying. And then many of the people he was training were from outside the U.S. And they couldn't even get in. And yet... The forced slowdown, I, I, my last flight was February, 2020. I'm a speaker. I cannot tell you the last time I went a year without being on a plane. It might have been in high school. Um, and I don't miss getting on planes and, you know, racing to the airport. And I love speaking. I love, yeah, I love being in the audience, but i I'm very much enjoying speaking virtually. We've all gotten more creative with my coach training program. You know, we had a, a coach training intensive that was going to be April 2020, the first weekend in April. And obviously by mid-March, it was like, ah, oh, what are we going to do? And, I, and we, you know, went through all sorts of scenarios and we decided to take it online. And I, I was prepared for everybody to just be angry and just give me refunds. We had maybe 12 people did that. And then we had more than that that said, hey, I'm so glad it's online. Now I can come. And so as a result, we had more, we trained more people in 2020 than any other year since we started in 2010. And people from all over, we had last year people from Australia, the Middle East, Africa, Europe, all joining us. So there have been opportunities in this. And with our kids, one of the things we did early on, because there's obviously lots and lots of complaining, and we just finally said, look, this is what it is. <laughs> so now we need to decide how we want to handle it, right? Like, no, I know you don't feel like wearing a mask everywhere you go. No, I, I know you don't want to be in school. <laughs> I certainly didn't enjoy having to uh, do virtual school while I'm working and all of those things. It was very hard. Um, but we get to choose our attitude. We get to find gratitude in the midst of all that's going on. And we get to choose to remember, you know, depending on what's happened in your own circle. I mean, in my circle, we've, we've lost people. You know, we've lost cousins. We've lost family, friends. Um, and you realize whatever you're dealing with, if, if it's not that, boy, are you fortunate. And so I think it's a chance to put things into perspective. And, and my, one of my favorite coaching questions for this time is looking back a few years from now, when things are in whatever the new normal is going to be, looking back, what will you wish you had done? Because typically hindsight's twenty twenty, and we look back and we go, you know, I actually had more time on my hands. I wish I had, and you fill in the blank of what that is, right? Or, or wow, my kids were 13 and 16. They were almost out of the house, just a few more years. This is an opportunity to spend more quality time together. 
don't miss those opportunities. So beautiful. It's really, uh, that speaks straight to my heart. Thank you. I, I kind of want to, because our time is limited, I kind of want to just do rapid fire. There are so many things I want to talk about. The first is two master's degrees, one of them in positive psychology. And of course, you've, you've mixed coaching and positive psychology with the CAP Institute. The, um, uh, first of all, UPenn, did you get a chance to work with the great and powerful Martin Seligman? Did you, uh, how was it over at UPenn? Anything oh you my gosh. about positive psychology? Can I tell you the next thing that I want to talk about? Yes. <laughs> this is this is way too much. And I just it's so delicious having you. The the racial reckoning that we're in as a country mm. has got to be spewing guilt in every direction. You know, you're talking to two white, cisgendered American men, you know, heterosexual, and uh clearly like, you know, I'm I'm the enemy, the perceived enemy of a lot of uh causes, ideas, and, and movements that I champion as a human, right? There's, but there's guilt in every direction there. So two juicy topics, positive psychology, <laughs> racial reckoning in America. And then of course, we still got to talk about T.D. Jake. So many different. Okay. <laughs> so Penn was an incredible, incredible education experience, educational experience for me and continues to be just the community um, of people. Um, I first learned of positive psychology when I read uh, Marty Seligman's book, Authentic Happiness, and then learned optimism, which is actually the favorite of his books for me. Um, the applied positive psychology program is pretty incredible. Um, what I was looking for is kind of what, what is the research behind what I'm doing? I had been writing books at that point. I had already written, I think, five books. Um, and I was I had been coaching for a few years, and I wanted I wanted to know more about what really enables people to flourish, to be happy, to perform at their highest levels. And so I was like, I'm going to go back to school if they'll let me in. <laughs> and they did, and it was it was pretty incredible. And uh, I mean, Marty's influence on the world of psychology is uh, so tremendous um and especially that pivot in 98 when he was president of the american psychological association to challenge the researchers can we balance out the research of psychology so we're not just studying what goes wrong we're not just studying illness we're actually discuss you know uh, researching health and thriving and this is why we've seen so many more books in the last 20 years about happiness, strengths, gratitude, all of these good things. Because even though, and a lot of coaches may feel this way, I had thought about psychology, but I don't enjoy dealing with problems. I love dealing with opportunities. <laughs> so that's why the positive psychology was so interesting to me. Um, with regards to the racial reckoning and um, the turmoil that we've been going through, I feel like we're in a second civil rights movement. Um, it looks very different than the one in the 60s, of course. Um, and I, per I perceive it in a couple of ways that it may be a little um, different. Um, I hear a lot of people saying, you know, people are, you know, riling up racial issues. And I'm like, you can't rile up something that's not already there. So 
I think we've seen some things come up that still need to be dealt with. And I think we are dealing with them. I don't know how long this period of time will be, but I don't think as Americans, we can, uh, we can't sidestep it anymore. I think this is about us getting to the promise of what our country is supposed to be. Um, that we're all created equal, right? And this is, I mean, this whole, you know, as we sometimes refer as the American experiment, I mean, this is different, right? Most other countries, everybody is pretty homogenous. And the history behind it is, uh, I believe, a big part of what's causing our challenges today. And we haven't really taught the truth of our history. I think people are very uncomfortable with it. And I think that's where a lot of guilt comes up. Why do you need to bring this up, et cetera, et cetera. I think the more comfortable we can get with just talking about truth, like what has happened. When I say the truth, I just mean the, the obvious things that have happened, What, how, how this country was founded, how that impacted native people who were already here, how people who look like me were, you know, we didn't immigrate to, to America. <laughs> you know, we were brought here. Um, you know, I, I've done my ancestry and I remember being, having a reaction. I hadn't really thought about my, what my reaction would be when I got my DNA results back, but I cried because, you know, I remember all the times in school when, you know, you're doing your, you know, where are you from? And you know, I'm, my family's from France, my family's from Russia, wherever. I don't know. My family's from a very big continent with 50 something countries in it. Um, and so when I saw the countries and they were all on the West coast of Africa, where we know the slave trade was, but then I saw that one in five of my ancestors were from Europe. And I know that's not any immediate family. Those are things that it, it might seem like, oh, you're talking about stuff a long time ago. No, I'm not. This is what runs through my veins and I have to reckon. And so I think, I think what is most important is, um, having cultural humility meaning that when we feel ourselves getting defensive, and this is for everyone, that we consider things from another perspective. I think coaching is very well positioned to help with this uh, racial turmoil that we're currently dealing with, because what do we do as coaches? We help people see what is there. <laughs> we help them have a vision. We help them have difficult conversations. Um, and so I think coaching has a lot of, I think, potential if I haven't, I haven't heard of anyone, you know, kind of advancing it in that way, but the cultural humility to notice, um, what it may feel like from others' perspectives and not rushing to judgment about what people think, uh, based on what they look like. And I, and I really mean that goes for everybody, um, white, black, Hispanic, Asian, um, and anybody I may have just left out <laughs> by, by categorizing, but making sure that we, we listen more than we assert um, our opinions. And I don't think there's enough of that right now. I love that you shared that story because for me, that occurs like where the, the, like the magic is. Right. Like sitting in a room in elementary school and doing that, you know, like you're where your family's from. And um, if you know, right, if you if your family has some idea, it's like you get to go back and see these places. And if you were like in your space and you don't, you know, a 
let's just say I'm in third grade, like I don't understand, right? I don't know what that, and it would be no different if you were the adopted kid. And that's a different, it's a different conversation, but it's the same, like we can't understand. And we often can't understand it until we hear someone tell the story, like explain. I really appreciate that, like that, how you shared that it made you cry, like that it's, it, it may have been a scar, but it's like not. It's it's an active it's an active wound because it never got the opportunity to heal, because there were, there weren't answers in a way. There weren't answers, and seeing the answers and seeing that they lined up, even the even my European ancestry lined up with what I thought mm-hmm. it might be based on my last name, my mother's maiden name, etc. I was like, okay, but then even reckoning that, mm-hmm. I'm clearly directly descended from slaveholders or overseers or something. (laughs) That's my blood too. So all of that is a lot that you go, Oh, okay. (laughs) Um, But it, it, like I've said, it is what it is, but if it makes someone else uncomfortable and then I have to tiptoe around my own history, then that's not okay. And so that's where I think the the cultural humility has uh, a lot of application so that we can have conversations, not not conversations of me blaming you specifically, but conversations of what is my experience? Oh, what what is it that makes you feel that way? Where did that come from? And and being able to listen. It's one thing when people really have hate in their hearts. I don't believe most people are just sitting there waiting to hate people. I really don't. But we, in America, we've all walked in completely different shoes. And so we often are just speaking from our point of view. However, we walk around in the world, we've experienced it very differently. And when we say, well, my, my experience as a, you know, as an African-American woman is going to look very different, for example, from my husband. My husband is white. And so when we have these conversations, a lot of times he kind of sits and he listens. He goes, I, I hadn't really thought about it that way. But I need to think about it that way, right? Because, because I have a wife and a son who are experiencing the world differently or people may be perceiving them uh, differently than I've ever been perceived. And so I, I think it's really important for us to just try to get comfortable with what feels uncomfortable. And then when you mention the healing, and I'm thinking about what Christopher was just saying of being a perceived enemy. I don't, I don't want, I don't perceive you as an enemy, um, but I understand what you mean by that. But there is a lot of healing when people who are in the majority express support or at least want to understand. Just saying, huh, I don't, I don't know what that experience is, but it's something I should consider. Those very small things are very healing. And it's something that we're starting to see in our country that I don't think we saw to a great degree before. And I think that's a part of the, of the change of people saying, well, I'm not in the category that deals with this issue, but that doesn't mean I don't care about this issue. That in itself is, is I think, a really important piece of building trust between people who don't look alike or believe alike. It's such a... Um... I hear such a win-win like in the conversation, right? It's a, it's, it, it, it's not intentionally like, Hey, I'm going to ask you so I can 
get something, but in the understanding your experience or hearing your story or understanding what it's like to be in your shoes, Mm -hmm. and this could be anyone in any story, there's something that comes back inadvertently, right? Like it's an unintended consequence, whether it be learning, understanding, connection, peace, healing. And I, and I, I think that that's where you know, that my hope is like, that's when, when we have conversations like this, that other people see, wait a minute, like, you know, Christopher and Alex are, are like fine with this, right? We're, we're actually encouraging it. We want it. It, it, we don't do it. So it makes us feel good, but it, it does that ultimately it makes us, I think, feel more whole. Like we're being better. We, we care more, we have more empathy and as you know, talking with you or or anyone else in a situation, like anyone who's different, let's say in any, in any way, shape or form. um, I love that you share that it it like heals on that side too. Just asking the question and listening. Um, Feeling heard, right? Isn't that what, that's one of the biggest, most powerful pieces of coaching is a person feels truly heard in most relationships. They probably don't. People are busy. Our jobs as coaches are to help people feel heard. And this is a piece of the puzzle. When I call it racial empathy, right? Let me listen. Let me step into someone's shoes if I can, right? Um, as best I can, I'll say it that way. When someone feels heard, it, it lowers the temperature. The guard starts to come down and we can have honest, authentic conversations about ways that we can move forward, ways that we can become more connected and do better. And so when I, when I say, I think coaching has a part in this, that whole hearing one another, we know how to do that as coaches. So as a coach, think about that in your relationships and in your interactions around this particular issue of race. How can I hear people more? How can I hear, oh, <laughs> how can I just hear more? Because people feeling heard is powerful. Forgive me, I was so enwrapped in the conversation that I forgot that I was part of it. The, <laughs> it's so good. Um, okay, well, let's. Uh, you've been very generous with your time, and what an extraordinary conversation! Thank you so much. I want to. I want to do two things before we go, if you're willing. The last thing is I want to give you an opportunity to to give us a parting thought or a parting shot today. Something that you'd like a few thousand coaches to think about as we go on with our day. But before that, I got to know, I, uh, I set about, I want to say maybe 15, 20 years ago, I set about to become a better public speaker by watching TV preachers. And T.D. Jakes became one of my favorite must-watches each and every week. And um, I'm, I'm embarrassed, perhaps, by saying both of those things and being outed at this secret part of my life where I just became a huge TD Jakes fan. You had the opportunity to work there. Is it a horrible mess and, and nothing like it looks, or is it as wonderful as it seems on TV? Anything oh you want to share? He is so gifted. Um, so I had that opportunity, my goodness, this year, it's 20 years ago. Um, and at the time I was attending his church, I lived in Dallas, but I had read his books before he ever even moved to Dallas. And they had had a big impact on my life. And this opportunity kind of just dropped in my lap to host that show for about a year. Um, I believe he is, he is, he and his wife are the real deal. Um, 
I believe he is deeply gifted, anointed just in what he does as a minister um, in, but he's not, he's not like a preacher minister in the traditional sense. We think he really is a motivator. (laughs) I think that's one of the reasons that he's so popular, helping people see what the possibilities are and having the courage to, to just in faith, keep moving forward and to have big vision. When you think about the things that he has done, the movie deals that, uh, that he has made, the circles in which he influences, it's really, really inspiring. And to be in the public eye like this for as many years as he has been, I know it's gotta be over a quarter century at this point. Um, and to make that kind of impact is just absolutely tremendous. So yeah, I, I when I was asked to do it, um, it was it was one of those moments where I was like, is that really happening? I didn't tell anyone except for my parents until I saw myself on the show the first time. <laughs> I was like, is am I really a, co-hosting a show with Bishop Jakes? <laughs> we'll, we'll wait until it's actually, I actually see it come up on the screen and then, <laughs> then I will let people know. <laughs> Well, congratulations, and I'm so happy to hear that uh, <laughs> everything is as good as it seems over there. Meanwhile, how about it? A parting thought or parting shot? What would you like us as coaches to think about or take away today? Ooh, that is such a big question, but, um, you know, I'm one of these coaches that thinks everybody could use a coach. As long as they're mentally healthy and functioning, I think everybody can use a coach. But I think it's so important for us um, as coaches to be grounded in our purpose. What are you here for? And coaching is a tool, but all of us have a unique purpose. And I think it answers this question. How is someone's life better when they cross paths with you? Whatever your answer to that, that's your mission. That's your, that's your purpose. Keep it in front of you so that you understand the why behind your coaching. When you're coaching others, I think this is a great question to ask. You've got to understand what is their purpose? Why are they here? How are they using their gifts, their talents, their strengths to somehow make an impact on the world? It can be very easy to get bogged down every time your client comes to the coaching session with whatever the opportunity or problem of the day is. We know from research that helping people get back in touch with their purpose and their vision elevates them. It helps them to gain a bigger perspective. So even when they're dealing with that thing that feels really small, like the conversation with the boss that's you know causing them a little anxiety and they want to talk it through in the coaching session, bring them back to purpose and vision because it serves as a guide and you'll find their perspective shift and their answers come a whole lot more quickly. So keep that idea of purpose and vision present for you, but also for your client. So beautiful. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for being with us. Alex, anything you, you want to say before we say a fond farewell to Ms. Burton? No. I have so enjoyed this conversation with both of you. We were good, right? We didn't, we didn't, you know, like attack you or anything. <laughs> we didn't pick on you. I feel heard. <laughs> it was extraordinary having you. Thank you so much. And thank you for the work you're doing in the world. It's so important. Thank you. That is Valerie Burton. You can find out more by going to V-A-L-O-R-I-E 
B-U-R-T-O-N.com. Also, check out CAP Institute, the uh, Coaching and Positive Psychology Institute. That's available at www.cappinstitute.com. Um, you can also find her, Valerie Burton, B-A-L-O-R-I-E-B-U-R-T-O-N, on the Twitter and the LinkedIn and the Insta and all the things. Um, thank you so much for your great work in the world. Alex Terranova, also an author of one book, Fictional Authenticity. You can find him on thedreammason.com or the Dream Mason podcast or wherever fine uh, uh, dream masonry is sold. <laughs> Alex, anything uh, to say before we sign off? No, this was great. Um, yeah, thanks for not messing up this episode. Good job, Christopher. We did it Thank together. you very much. Thank you. Well, that's one. Uh, thank you, dear listener, for being with us. We uh, bring you people out on the cutting edge, people that you need to know about, pioneers and extraordinary folks in coaching each and every week right here on uh, the coaching show and Accomplishment Media or wherever fine podcasts uh, are obtained. I thank you for listening and we will talk to you next week. That's it for today's episode. Thanks for listening to The Coaching Show. We will talk to you next week.